0: Do you want
1: uh, a break to kind of get off and move around the bed, go to the bathroom?
0: No, no, I'm perfectly fine. He's good. (laughs) (laughs) I I see we've been 37 minutes, but I mean, I can go for another two hours.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the next stage. This time we are joined by Matthew from Teatro Aurora. It is an opera house in Gozo. And we are here to talk about the history of the house, their upcoming production of Aida, as, w- as well as Exodus, and, you know, just the general running of the Opera House, really. Um, stay tuned. It is honestly, just as a person who's done the interview, it's a beautiful story. Enjoy.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Next Stage Podcast. Today, we're going to talk, be talking about opera and this beautiful little opera theater found in Gozo, the tiny little island off the coast of Malta. Today we're joined by Matthew Sultana. Hi, Matt. Say hello to the podcast.
0: Hi. Hello. Hello, everyone.
1: So tell us, Matt, how did Teatro Aurora come about?
0: Um, I don't know how long we have here because that answer can get quite lengthy, (laughs) but um, ultimately it ended up with a band, which is called the Leone Band or the Lion Band, um, which is uh, a wind band made up of of amateur volunteer musicians. Um, And this band had a a club, a clubhouse, you know, and in 1963, they demolished it and built um, what they called the Aurora Theater, which was a 500-seat cinema theater. It was mainly used for a a cinema, so it had a very shallow stage and a few small concerts by the band. But you have to understand that here in Victoria, in my hometown, um, the Lion Band is not alone. There's the rival band, which is the band of the star. And five years later, that band built a theater, which was double the size. with uh, some 1,000 seat capacity. So and quite a larger stage. So in the 1960s, uh, we were being driven out of business, you know, so uh, someone had to answer that. And it so happened that in 1971, there was this house for sale, um, which belonged to the Tabona family, the people in Malta knows it because Tabona families had even a president of Malta in their in, in their family line. And the the house was was for sale and my band decided it was a very bold and audacious decision um, to go for it it meant a great deal because uh, the aurora was only seven years old so uh, you demolish a building you build it again then after seven years you buy somewhere else uh, to move so it it was it was very bold and uh, in a very conservative society um, the Aurora was always in the heart of the city, and now this new building, this new Aurora, uh, was uh, quite uh, on the outskirts. Where in those times it wasn't even considered part of Victoria, so it was it was very bold. Um, but they went for it. They bought the place, they demolished a great deal of it, and and built the Aurora. It was a, a large villa. Uh, originally, it was a fully detached countryside villa. Nowadays, if you come to the public street and you see the aurora surrounded by buildings, you can't understand, but it was it was a fully detached villa with a large garden and stables at the back. They demolished it, and on the garden, they built the, the opera house there. And nowadays, with 1,600 seats, It's definitely the largest theater and the proper opera house on the Maltese Islands. So it was built, it was built, funded and built even manually by volunteers between 1971 and 1976. So people used to go to help the builders after their working hours. Um, People used to organize parties and discos to get fundraising so they 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 could finance the works and and buy the materials it was since inception a ve- very much a community theater that's how it came to be that's how it was it was run and that's more or less how it's still run as a community theater but it's one thousand six hundred seats so
2: so i'm um, i'm interested because i i mean as someone who's dabbled in musicianship in the past what kind of band was the uh, Leon band was it like um was it like wind orchestral was it like no,
0: a quartet it's a wind band okay uh, so in gozo there are 10 wind bands one in every village but in victoria there are two so we are quite uh at a, in, in a funny laugh hate relationship you know yes <laughs> um <laughs> But it's a wind band, it's a marching band. So our services mainly are marching uh, band marches in the open air. We organize religious feasts in summer. So every weekend there's a different religious feast here and there, and the band the bands are part and parcel of of, of this phenomenon we call it the Maltese festa. Uh, the bands are very much um, based on what you see in Sicily, it's more an Italian and Sicilian tradition of of marching bands. But you get to see these concert bands and marching bands in the UK and in the United States. So it's that uh, it, we don't have string instruments. It's only wi- uh, woodwinds, brass and moving percussion.
2: Do you know, that's so refreshing, because that was exactly the type of band I was in when I was younger. Exactly. So it's it's refreshing to hear that because in my head I was like oh okay so it's this big orchestral string band because um you know just doing um research about the place there's um you know it's a, it's an opera house it's a grandiose field so it's quite um humbling for me to kind of hear that story really um so but what
0: you have what you have to understand first of all is that when you as a foreigner you come to the opera house. Mm-hmm. You see the opera house, because the largest share of the building is taken up by the theater, by the opera house itself. But for us, for us, that place, before anything else, before an opera, it's a band club. So if I'm going there, I won't, call, uh, I won't tell my, my family I'm going to the opera house. I tell them I'm going to the band club, because for us, that is the band club. It's for the foreigners that the Opera House makes an impact. But for us on a day to day basis, because even because we go there more often, not for the Opera House, because the Opera House is open a few nights a year, but we go there on a daily basis because it's a band club, because there's the band and all the activities surrounding the, the band activity. Now, the band does a lot of lots of activities. And one of them, for example, we have a, a folk group, so we have a dance group with with folk costumes. We have a snooker club, so we have people coming at the club to to play snooker. And um, we have a fireworks factory, uh, so and fireworks centers, yes, they they manufacture fireworks. And one of these surrounding events, subsidiary events of activities of the band is the theater, and the opera so yes the opera and the opera house they create a big fuss a big hullabaloo but for us it's one subsidiary activity of out of so many out of so many others
2: okay let's delve into that a little bit more then so when you're like looking for work like you're sourcing you're producing the work um what is it that you take into consideration like you because by the grasp I have, you have the opera on one side and the community band on the other. So how do you kind of source work for both of these things?
0: As far as dance shows, concerts, and other forms of entertainment are concerned, uh, we usually hire the space, and then we assist the companies or whoever they are. Uh, I mean, we assist them very wholeheartedly. So it's more a case of, They find us rather than we find them or we go about sourcing or or searching for for productions and events. But once they start the project at the Aurora, they know that there's an in-house team, which is very ready and willing to tend to their needs. It's very much a family thing at the Aurora. Um, So we are there uh, because we simply love the place and we love the work, uh, which is voluntary. So we go the extra mile or two or three um, to help whoever wants to produce anything at the Aurora. Uh, it's not like we're going there uh, because we're employed. So we go from eight till four. And once it's four o'clock, we, clock, we punch and leave. We value very much these, these collaborations. But then there is, for example, opera. As far as opera is concerned, which is our major production, it all depends on the title and the producer. We come, at the Aurora, from a very lengthy traditional association with the Tabile family. The Tabile family is an Italian family. Uh, the mother, Flavia, was with us as the leading soprano in 1977 when the Aurora put up the first opera in 1977. She was a household name at the Rome Opera. And she stayed with us. She came the first time as a soprano and the second time, but she stayed with, uh, with us, supporting us each and every year. Then her daughter, Novella, continued with us uh, until 2016 as a stage director. She's still a very close friend of ours, as you can imagine. Uh, with Novella, for example, who, apart from being a stage director, she was a set designer, um, we very much preferred having her original set designs produced in-house at the Aurora, and then uh, we usually sourced costumes and props from Italian houses. Uh, lately, after Tabili, after, um, uh, we've started a collaboration with the world-renowned stage director Vivian Hewitt. She's Irish-born but based in Italy. Her baptism of fire with us was Tosca in 2018, when we took the bold decision to construct a full a new full production with sets props costumes etc uh, there was at the time a very strategic collaboration with local couturier Luca Zoppardi and uh, Camilleri Paris mode and that was a massive success more or less we repeated that story with La Bohème in 2019 with some modifications because of course one opera comes uh, with different requirements and exigencies than the other but yes, there is no hard and fast rule how to source and produce a work. It, it very much depends on the title and the key persons you are collaborating with. But sourcing actually is a very, very fascinating thing. One, one may think that sourcing something is like uh, an easy way out how to get ready-made things, but it's not. Rather, it is a very, very positive learning curve Um, Because you get to see foreign products, you get to see how they're made, how they're curated, Um, for example, even makeup. Just to give you one example, um, you think we don't have anyone uh, knowledgeable enough to make stage makeup for an opera, but we chose to source, outsource uh, opera makeup. For example, we had this um, Italian makeup artist, Mara Casasola. she works. She, she used to work at La Scala theatre. So even her products, the products she brought with her, when we had our volunteers, makeup artists, helping her, assisting her, the learning experience and the expertise they got from her, that was something out of this world. You know, this uh, this makeup artist now she's working with Rye Television. So we were following her on her socials uh, with the, uh, at the Sanremo backstage. You know with all with all the artists. you know, when she's here, the wealth of experience and and knowledge she she, she can transfer to us. it's uh, that that's the joy. that's the beauty of of sourcing uh, even costumes, even sets, whatever it is.
1: You said earlier that it's a community theater, but telling us now kind of a bit more of how you run and how you get to work, it sounds very much like a like a second home. It you is know? a
0: second It is a second home. Um, for example, um, for us, m- myself and, and my colleagues and other volunteers, um, it's not like that we have to be called to go to the Aurora because there's something to be done. No, it's just that if I'm at home and I have nothing to do, by default, I go to the Aurora.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: kind of, of like that, your hangout
1: it, place.
0: Yes, yes, it is very much the hangout place. So you can find me there on Saturday morning doing some administrative work then you find me on saturday afternoon watching football in the bar then you find me uh, saturday evening uh, at the restaurant so
1: how sweet uh, you said that uh, kind of work finds you have you ever thought about having an aurora company where you kind of have a set group of performers and they and they produce work
0: well that's a very tricky question because um uh performance for example are definitely brought in based on on the production that is being put up so um we can't say there's an a, an opera company in terms of of singers for example the the big repertoire opera houses you find some uh, singers for example that are based in an opera particular opera house so any opera or the the large share of operas that they put up there those set of singers are doing them all because they are employed there, they're resident there and they're doing everything there. you know. But in our case, a small um, a, a small institution like ours, no, we, we, we don't employ anyone, for example, uh, even the administra- the administration, we don't call ourselves administrative staff because we're not on a payroll, we're not employed. We're, we're just volunteers. We have another job. We just don't have a second job so that we find time to do this voluntary work, you know. Uh, But then, for example, um, uh, when an opera requires a chorus, for example, it so happens that the basic cohort of choristers are very regular with us. Mm. They're not engaged. They're not uh, employed. They're just volunteers, no contractual obligations. But we know we can count on them. So uh, if we're doing AIDA and come June, we start uh, choir rehearsals, we just pop up on Facebook, or, or we just send text messages, we're starting rehearsals, who's coming, and they come. So in that sense, yes, there is a virtual, if you want to call it that way, Aurora company, but not a for, not a former company, um, as I said, because we don't have anyone on a payroll. Uh, we, even for example even even finance it's by crowdfunding we have some government funding on a project basis for example the government here recognizes the importance of the opera production even from a cultural and the touristic and the marketing uh, point of view of the island of gozo so we get some government support for the opera project per se but uh, funding for an opera doesn't cover funding for, for the staff all year round, you know, yeah. so in that sense, it's very difficult to, um, to assemble an opera company, a, a, a fully fledged opera company. But yes, if you if you come to the Aurora and you find these people and you come next year and you find the same people, then you realize that, yes, there is some some form of energetic and enthusiastic company at the yeah. Aurora.
2: Um, we have talked a little bit about the kind of venue that Aurora is. And we've talked a little bit about how you go about sourcing and producing work. But I'd like to ask about how the... If there was, like, a specific piece of work that Aurora is well known for. So, I mean, you have your opera house, right? That's one part. Was there a specific production that gained more prominence, shall we say, at Aurora.
0: We're mostly known for opera. Yes. Few people perhaps realise, but this is the genre we reintroduced in Malta in 1977. Because opera, uh, you have to understand this, there was um, opera in Malta, not in Gozo, was very... Was very popular, and there was uh, the Manuel Theater and the Royal Opera House, which was bombed in 1942. And since then, that opera house has never been rebuilt. And but opera in Malta was always the Italian opera. And um, after the war, after the war, Italian opera um, suffered a lot, uh, uh, suffered a big decline in popularity. Uh, because you know uh, we were on 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 the uh, Allied side with the British forces, and Italian was considered during the war as the language of the enemy. So uh, anything which was pro-Italian uh, it was a little bit um, sidelined, so to speak. And opera was one of those um, casualties. Um, but then in the nineteen in the nineteen seventies, um, there was a, a regained interest in. opera but there was no proper venue and when the aurora was built in and opened in 1976 the next step was to bring an opera and in fact in january 1977 just after three months we managed to get the first opera which was um, mainly sourced from the rome opera the rome national opera Um, and that rekindled um, a renewed interest and enthusiasm in in opera even in Malta. And we continued putting up operas. For example, uh, in the first years, uh, we used to do two operas in a week, two different operas in the same weekend, one title on Friday and a different title on Saturday, or one title on Thursday, and a different title on, on, on Thursday. And there were there were years when we did um two sessions. One, for example, in, in spring and one in autumn. So there were four different operas in a year. Then nowadays, um, operas are more professional. Of course, if you compare the quality of operas in the 70s and the operas we do today, uh, they just don't compare, you know. Um, but we went from height to height and that is, the, it, still get, it still has the pride of place. So, yes, we are mostly known for operas and we're very proud about that. Um, But then, uh, of course, um, opera is only once or twice a year. So we have to fill uh, the season uh, with other events because otherwise you fall off the radar, you know. Um, So the band contributes with a number of symphonic concerts. The Malta Philharmonic Orchestra nowadays is very, very uh, more active than before. So um, they visit every so often with different concerts. Um, uh, there are a number of dance schools on the island uh, who put up their uh, dance shows um, at, at the theatre because then, uh, you know, it, it's a big stage. It's the lar- definitely the largest stage on the island. So anyone who wants to do... A, a, a production of a certain size, then uh, we're we're here and do it available. So uh, there is there is a there is a mix in in, in the in, in the theatre season, but we're mostly known for the opera. So
1: for people who don't don't know much about Malta, uh, Teatro Aurora is found in Gozo, which is Malta's sister island, and it's smaller than Malta. Uh, Matthew, do you think that? The fact that it's in Gozo and the fact that it's in Victoria kind of makes a difference to what kind of opera you guys create. You think if it was
0: somewhere else, it would be different? Um, Most definitely, most definitely the location impacts, especially due to the fact uh, that despite our mammoth size, we have the soul of a community theater. That is, we're a theater by the community. If we were somewhere else, I don't believe we would have been a community theater. But precisely because we're in Gozo and because we are the fruit of the history, we are. Yes, it does make a difference. That's why we are a community theater. Our size is big. It's 1,600 1, seats. Our aim is usually big. We go for the big opera names big opera titles and the big opera singers. We try to fill in a large capacity each time we open our doors, but our manpower, our engine, our machine is indeed small. We are a community theater in Gozo, so everything we do is bound to be proportionate. In this respect, for example, when you consider our size and the grandiosity of the opera as we stage, that's quite a freak correlation. It's it really it really, it really doesn't tell you uh, and uh, when we get outsiders um uh, for example, we get the foreign singers to do opera here, and they realize this small nucleus of people we are because when when you come to the theater here, you realize that um the taxi driver is the brother of the assistant producer, and the box officer is their cousin and most probably the president is their uncle or you know so it, but then when you see the end result it it, it doesn't tell you this is a big it this is a very small company and the product is you know so that that doesn't tell you but back to your original question the fact that we're in gozo also impacts the size of our market we tend to compare ourselves to foreign theaters because the size and the seating capacity are comparable to foreign theaters. But our markets are not. The Maltese market is small by comparison to uh, foreign market. And if you will, the Gozo market becomes negligible. Luckily, we are seeing that Maltese theater goers are finding the crossing to Gozo a bit less of a hassle than they used to. Um, but I would say that our biggest drawback is not that we're in Gozo our biggest drawback is the big size of the theatre. Because you see, in Malta, in Valletta, there's Spazio Creative, and with the tourist circulation and the patronage a million times bigger than ours, they have hundreds of shows with 100 people, 150 people, 200 people, audiences, and they're very successful there. Try doing something at the Aurora with 100 people in the stalls. It just doesn't work, you know? So. The biggest drawback, I don't say that because it's the location, but it's the size. I would say, I would say.
2: I think you bring up a very good point about how the size of the venue impacts, like... uh, Like, I don't think, if I'm speaking from performer brain here, if I was to go into a place with capacity of 1,600 and see the same amount of people in like a packed out 100 seat venue, you would feel a little bit like, oh, okay, is that it? You know what I mean? Yes. So, yes, 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 yes. yeah. So there's a, there's a mental thing. So you have a completely um, valid and interesting point that you've brought up there. The the
0: the, the advantage of having a 1,600 seat theater was during COVID. Okay. Because Because when small spaces, were relegated out of use. We could very much welcome the social distancing factor, you know. Yeah. And and a concert which usually attracted three hundred people, and we were like not satisfied with three hundred people. All of a sudden, we are very much satisfied with three hundred people. Yeah. You know. And and it's very it's very rel- relative. And all of a sudden, uh, you wouldn't mind showing pictures of the Aurora with 300 seats full because that's very good that's, that's acceptable and, and that's desirable of Not, course. so yes this this um, pandemic also brought about um, some changes in, in perspective and I very much believe that um, one has to be one has to be um, honest about it and uh, conscious about it that this is the way to go. If the island is small and uh, we're suffering even from uh, an element of depopulation, uh, we have to m- uh, make do, we have to be satisfied and content with the smaller numbers. Because if we're always going for the big numbers, then we're just, it's a non-starter. Mm. Uh, the, the the intelligent thing is um, selecting, choosing what entertainment, forms of entertainment you get uh, for particular audiences. We can't go after each and everything that's out there. We have to choose carefully our, uh, our product. And if it's a product that gets 100 people, we do it for 100 people. Uh, there are ways and means how to modify the space and make it a little bit more welcoming. Uh, we have we have to learn uh, these different modalities and different setups.
2: Yeah. Um, I have one last question for you before we cut to break. Um, we've talked about, um, you know, the kind of venue and the kind of work that Aurora puts on. Um, so I'd like to s- ask you, as a community theatre, As an opera house, as a place to kind of be a venue for people to go to. Although, like me speaking as a foreigner, we define this as an opera house, do you feel that the title is still relevant to the kind of work that is being staged at Aurora?
0: Uh, The Aurora is defined as an opera house not because, not strictly because we put up operas. But it's more about because of its architecture. When our forefathers in the 1970s were discussing its design, uh, someone suggested uh, a big bulging balcony at the back of the house on the main entrance. You know, um, But uh, the designer told them that the, the design with a big balcony at the back is more akin to a cinema hall rather than an opera house. Um, the Italian traditional opera house asks for boxes on three sides, on the left, on the right, and at the back. It's just You can see all the Italian opera houses. You see, you see La Scala, you see the Rome Opera, uh, you see the Manuel Theater and Valletta. And that's why it's the Aurora Opera House, because it, it, it has balconies on, on, on three sides. And then, of course, we still hold the pride of place as pioneers in the local opera context. Uh, that said, It doesn't mean that the Aurora is only fit for operas. If we want to be honest, for example, the fact that it's an opera house with proper acoustics for opera, because don't forget uh, opera doesn't make use, uh, opera doesn't make use at all of artificial sound amplifications. It also helps for other events. So we get audio companies installing sound systems, for, for example, for a rock concert at the Aurora. And they say that even though rock concerts are heavily amplified, a proper sound system still works much nicer at the Aurora than in any other venue because of the acoustics properties uh, that the Aurora possesses. I'm not a sound engineer at all, so (laughs) I can't verify, but I have no qualms with them saying this, of course. So uh, we've never we've never found that the definition of the venue as an opera house. uh, could have been a difficulty. Rather, um, people are very much intrigued about the opera house, and they very much, um, very often they come to the to the place when uh, the theater is closed. But of course, the ground floor, the restaurant, is always open. Uh, the venue, for example, is open from seven o'clock in the morning until eleven at night, straight. So it's it's a walk to the place all, all, all day long, and. When people hear that there is an opera house there, they feel more intrigued to come and visit, even if there's no production going on.
1: Going in and to see kind of like what it looks like and to experience how big it is,
0: even if there's no uh, production going on, it's still quite a nice experience. Yes. And there is one other thing our facade, I told you that when we bought the house and then we demolished much of it and we built the, uh, the opera house, the facade was remained intact. So, so the facade doesn't give any clue of what's inside. Okay, good. I feel better
1: now because while, uh, while looking at and researching for this episode, I, I remember thinking, where is this theatre? I don't remember seeing one. Um, but when I saw the fachata, I thought, that's why it doesn't look like a theatre. How, no. how have I been past this yes. a million of times and never yes. realized?
0: Yes. And now yes. it makes yes. sense. Yes. And so people are even even more awed and surprised at, at the volume and, and the sheer spectacle of the of the place when uh, the facade doesn't allude to anything,
2: almost hidden in plain sight, would you say?
0: Indeed, indeed. indeed. Okay,
2: listen. We have got Matthew from Teatro Aurora. Um, we are going to cut to break. We'll be right back. And we're back. We are still joined by Matthew from Teatro Aurora. Um, now, <laughs> as incentivized in the break, I would like to ask you how long have you been involved at the Aurora?
0: Well, I've been close to the Aurora since, since I can remember. But um, first time I was um, involved specifically in opera, Uh, I was 15 years, that was 2001, and my entry was a two-minute entry as an auxiliary actor with with a banner. The opera was Ernani, so I was, you know, a page in, in, in the palace, and I entered from left, I stopped, I bowed two minutes and out. Then the next year, it was um, two round dot, it was more or less the same, but this time the, the palace was a Chinese palace in in Beijing, you know? So, um, uh, But then, 2004, I started singing in the chorus. Uh, that was Nabucco, it was a big chorus opera. And I, I sang in, in the chorus there. 2005 I was studying at university, I was a little bit busy with the studies, so instead of singing the whole opera, I was playing with the backstage orchestra. I was, it was Fedora, it was in December, I was playing the accordion there. 2007, I was singing in the chorus again, it was La Forza del Destino, and I started assisting in the administrative office, so I was I was um singing in the chorus during the rehearsals but then I was um taxi driving the singers from the hotel to the restaurant and to the re- from the restaurant to the theater and back so it it, it it was it was a blast I really enjoyed it it was very busy because you know you go to the rehearsals in the afternoon and then you can take them out you take the singers out for for dinner late dinner after the rehearsals uh, so you know it, it gets it gets very interesting. Uh, then, 2008, I was singing in the chorus again, but I was doing the role of an assistant director, assistant to the stage director. So uh, I, I was going up this, this case on the backstage side. And that happened again in 2009. But I was so badly needed at the backstage that I, I, I was officially, I was in the chorus then I didn't I didn't sing because I, I I was required backstage. And then in 2010, we had uh, Carmen Opera and then we had to decide, OK, I do assistant to the stage director and and that's that. So I did um, 2010, 11, 12, 13. Then 2014, I went into box office. We had um, a new ticketing system because until 2014 we were still with the manual tickets and so on. So um, we had a new ticketing system and I was a little bit tech savvy, uh, able to do it. So I, I moved out from backstage and I went into box office and finance and then administration. 2000, since 2016, now I'm the chief producer of, of, of the opera. So I take, uh, I assume, responsibility of the budgeting in advance and the, the accounts afterwards. And, you know, I put the team together.
1: Wow, so, you've really worked your way up from, like, three seconds on stage to running the whole
0: theatre. Uh, mm, <laughs> yes, you can say. But, but that, is, that is an advantage because whatever I expect from um, the people in my team, uh, i know what to expect because i've been there i've done that and that that is also appreciated by uh, everyone in, in the team because uh, when when i ask for something or i ask a question it's it's something which i i know a little bit from experience because you know so it's not like uh, people are taking decisions in an office uh, but they're never backstage you know it's uh, multifaceted so Sometimes being a jack of quite a number of trades helps.
2: Do you know that wonderfully leads me nicely into my next question? Because, um, you've as evidenced, you've been involved with opera and the aurora since your teenage years, yes. And, um, something that how say like with opera. It can... the
0: op- opera is for the old guys, no? Uh, you said it on me. Um, yes, <laughs> a Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, I, I, I'll read my cue. I- I'll, I'll be the actual and read the script. So with opera, it can be difficult to engage younger members of the community with the work. Now there are lots of reasons for this, but I'd like to know how do you engage and encourage younger audiences to get involved with opera and Teatro Aurora?
0: First and foremost, we engage them by, encourage them by encouraging them and inviting them to be part of it. Even if they don't know what opera is, young people enjoy being on stage. We have, I told you, we're a community theatre. Sometimes we have people doing opera in the chorus, or as auxiliary actors, and they don't even know what the title of the opera is, or what their role actually is, or what's being, what's happening on stage, or what they're saying. They're there just because they're part of this community. They're there because this theater or this club asked them to come and put on a costume. You know, uh, you know. For example, once we had Aida again in nineteen ninety nine and we needed horses on stage. So we needed these rough and tough guys to come up on stage with a horse. And would would you imagine this these rough and tough guys with all their bodily paintings? You would dress them as skirt, an Egyptian skirt. But they did it because the club asked them to do it and they did it. So um that is that is um a positive element of a community theater that brings everybody on board. That's how we all started. So the opening call, for example, for chorus be it the children's chorus or the adult chorus, is a very, very important thing in the production of an opera. And contrary to what many may think, This call is not restricted to party supporters or people from the neighborhood or people from the town of Victoria. It is really and truly open to everyone. And this has been fairly successful and interesting because in the last, I would say, 10, 15 years, the average age of people from the production side, that is um, chorus, backstage, etc., has fallen from over 50s to over 30s, sometimes even over 20s. Many, 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 many young guys. In fact, um, we here in, in, in Malta, university, in which is, we only have one university, and this is in Malta. So the Godzatan University students, when the scholastic year starts, they go to live in Malta. They, they rent an apartment, they rent a flat, and they live in Malta from Monday to Friday. Then they come to Gozo only in the weekend. So university school, university year starts on the first of October. So we put up our, our opera in the first half of October so that we can do the rehearsals during summer. Because most of our choristers, most of our people the people on our team are university students or young people who live who, who work in Malta. So We ask them to come for rehearsals during summer, and then the production week or the the last two weeks of production, the first two weeks of October, which is the first two weeks, we don't interfere much with, with with their studies. They can afford to do that. That's how, for example, one of the reasons why Opera at the Aurora settled every year automatically on the second weekend of October. So that was, that was very successful. But then we tried to create different kinds of events surrounding the opera to engage with different audiences, not only, but particularly young audiences. And these events can take place, uh, not necessarily on opera night or during the opera weekend, but even at different times of the year. For example, pre-COVID, we were very active with outre- outreach events during what we call European Opera Days. European Opera Days um, is a week in May. You know, Europe Day is 9th May. So um, uh, European Opera Days are a week around the 9th of May. Um, uh, when we usually don't have opera there, but w- we had an interesting project the last time before, before Covid started with art students from the sixth form. So they were Uh, 16, 17-year-old art students. There were a number of lectures at their school and talks about the opera, about its plot, about its libretto, its music, um, the composer and and, and the librettist. Then the students uh, interpreted that in visual arts and then they mounted an exhibition at the Opera House uh, on Opera Weekend. Now, since uh, since COVID, uh, our entries in schools has been severely restricted because you know everybody is a little bit more cautious. You, you and you can't plan ahead because if COVID numbers rise again, then you have to to shelf everything. You know, um, but the situation now calls for rethink on how to attract young people to opera, and there are quite some exciting initiatives in in the pipeline. We just have to iron out some nitty gritties because you know. Uh, then uh, I told you we're in the first half of October Uh, then if you want to do um, you want to invite school children over for the courses or whatever it's the first week of school and teachers and educators are still finding their feet in schools so it it might not necessarily be the ideal time to disrupt lessons in October but there are lots of exciting ways how to to get in schools and how to get uh, young audiences for example one One very simple thing was in 2018, when we had Tosca, um, instead of doing the costumes or hiring the costumes from a a usual house, we got a a local fashion designer who is very much um, an influential factor on on social media. And the visibility with young audiences that the Tosca got was something Extraordinary remarkable. So it's how you go about it.
2: I think that um how you go about it and the relevancy of it is such an important thing to distinguish with these um art forms that have been around for years. Um like, for example, to, to throw a name in the mix, um uh there is a Englishman who's been dead for five hundred odd years. He's called William Shakespeare. And um he and to this day um, people still revere him and perform his work regularly there, um, I I can't verify this but there was I remember reading something about before Corona um, there was a play of Shakespeare being performed every minute of the day at some place in the world so um, and the way that people you know how do you get young people involved with that a lot of issues with it can sometimes come with the language or the topics and stuff it's reinventing it to make it relevant for your audiences, or getting people involved who are younger and who you want to see the work—that is how you, um, at least in my mind, get people to become a part of and get become a part of and get involved with this sort of thing. Um, it's a bit of a tangent, it's a bit of a stretch, but do you un- but do you understand what I mean?
0: Yes, 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 indeed. Yeah. And I think I think that we were honestly hand on heart i think we have been fairly successful in these last 10 15 years we hope i just hope we don't plateau we have to keep on. we have to keep on Mm -hmm. Uh, this little thing kind of moves swiftly Uh,
1: you mentioned that you do your opera shows always in the beginning of october due to school i think that makes a lot of sense i think first of all very smart of you and also very not even smart, but very human and very nice of you to kind of think of when is the best time for us to do this that will not stress our performers. So I think if you keep thinking with that in mind, I don't think you will reach this plateau that you're hoping not to reach. Because I think as long as you run this theatre with the people who make it in mind, I think you will be absolutely fine.
0: Yes, yes. In fact, that's why we still haven't veered off from mid-October. It seems to serve everyone well and then in the large in the larger picture it also helps the island uh, because you know summer uh, economy wise and touristic wise summer is, is is a good season for the economy in gozo but then the uh, as we go into autumn we call those the the, the shoulder months the leaner months so uh, opera also serves as um, an extension of summer so to speak so even, even the government feels comfortable to support us because we also serve that uh, economic and touristic uh, uh, agenda of, of the island. So okay. everybody's uh, happy with the opera.
1: Yeah, everybody's happy with the opera. So this year you're pre- presenting Verdi's Aida and yep. this is your first post-COVID opera.
0: Very hopefully,
1: yes. Yes, Oleo, oh, will manage. <laughs> so for anyone who's new to the work, can you give us a bit of a brief overview of what the piece is about and how you as Teatro Aurora are interpreting it.
0: So um, I believe that nobody's new to AIDA and everybody's new to AIDA at the same time. Everybody knows the melody from the Triumphal March. They play it in the Maltese festas. They play it at the football ground. You hear it everywhere, television commercials. And that is what 99.9% of the people come for when they choose to to come to watch AIDA. They're all waiting for the pa pam pa pa-da-pa-pa-pa-pam for the for March. But apart from that, AIDA is a real masterpiece. There is one scene in which the stage is extremely crowded and the bigger the stage, the better, because you can fit as many people as you like, including horses. We've had two horses on stage for an AIDA in 1999. But then the rest of the opera is very, very intimate very often with just three persons on stage. So it's, it's an opera of contrasts. The AIDA choruses are exuberant. I, it's like someone asked Verdi to put everything he knows and everything he could in these music scores. And he did precisely that. But so are the solo parts, musically speaking, the solo parts and the duets and the, the ensembles of AIDA. They're like the best sample of gadget and Lace. They're very intricate and very, very lovely. Especially if you're into classical music, the Aida solos are the thing to go for. Aida actually is the name of an Ethiopian princess whom we first meet in, in the opera as a slave in the Egyptian king's palace. In relation to Aida, there's Radames. He's Egyptian, he's an Egyptian warrior, and they're secretly in love. So he's Egyptian and she's Ethiopian. She's a slave um, her rival in love is Amneris, the Egyptian princess, daughter of the king. So you can already understand or, or presume what's happening. You have two ladies and a man and two are in love and one is not, you know? Um, the Ethiopians are attacking Egypt. And so radames is chosen to lead the Egyptian forces. He emerges victorious. And that's where the triumph scene occurs, and he returns triumphantly with Ethiopian slaves, amongst whom we find Amonazro, the king of Ethiopia, which is Aida's father. To make it more complicated, as a token of thanks to his victory, Radames is offered Amneris' hand in marriage, so Aida's heart is absolutely shattered. And so is Radames, who returns his love to Aida and not to Amneris. So on the eve of this uh, supposedly wedding, Radames plans to flee with Aida. And he tells her to flee from one side in one direction because the Egyptian army is situated on the other. As he does this, he is discovered, and therefore he's discovered disclosing a state secret. And so he's condemned to death by being buried alive. Eventually he is sent into this dark chamber um to get buried uh, uh, and then closed there, uh, only to find that Aida hit herself before, so they could die together. And that's how this love story, this love story ends. Now, how are we going to tackle Aida? Um, we tackle Aida. first of all, you take the um, the approach of the artistic director. Now, um, the artistic director, I, I referred to her, I made a mention to her, Vivian Hewitt. Um, she's born in Ireland, but she's been living and working for 40 years in Italy. Um, she's very much um, a stage director of, of the repertoire. Um, so we're not going grotesque. We're not going um, bold and ultra-modern. Uh, we're sticking to the plot, how very they would have envisaged it however they would have viewed it and in, in originally when when it was written so it's more of a traditional approach um, but uh, this time round not only because uh, because um covet but also because uh, aida is uh, is an opera that requires big chorus numbers big extra numbers um so at one point, you can easily find 120 people on stage. So um, to to construct a new production which is this big, it might not necessarily uh, be feasible or makes the most uh, of economic sense. So this, this year, um, we're looking at uh, sourcing out a production. We have a very interesting production and we're very excited that we're bringing it here. Uh, I believe it is a little bit prematurely to announce what's it and what's not, but it comes with a very big name and uh, a very big goodwill. Uh, so it is uh, a production which uh, we would one would expect to see in the grade A and grade B theaters in Italy and the UK. And that is um, a very much added value that uh, we're offering our patrons uh, our patrons this year so it's it, it's very it's very exciting uh, mm-hmm. i wish i wish we were closer to the production date because i would be very very much um how you say um enthusiastic to disclose even more yes but what i w- what what i could say what i could say and this is uh when when i'm asked about the the, the production and, and the quality of, of the productions we host here um i would say that the the top three singers. The top three singers always have um, Italy's La Scala, uh, New York's Covent Garden, uh, 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 London's Covent Garden, New York's Metropolitan on their CV. So, in terms of singing quality, that's the quality you get at the Aurora. And if you get that singing quality, we have to maintain that quality in all other aspects of of the production. So... Yes, that is, that is, that is our, our, our guarantee. In fact, as people uh, at the Aurora, the first thing they do is when they come for an opera, they open the opera souvenir booklet, they look at the singers, the CVs, and if they see A, B and C theatres on their CVs, okay. Our mind is at rest.
2: <laughs> um, I just want to run past you something I read which I'd be interested to hear your opinion on. So, um when I was doing my research about Aida and how Aurora's interpreted it, um there was a quote that was highlighted. Um I'll just read it out. It says <clears throat> with Love Triangles, Triumphal Marches and Chorus, Aida rekindles memories and evokes a brazen spirit of what opera in Gozo really means. So I'd like to ask you, um what would you describe as seeing opera in Gozo is like? And why would you, and why do you feel it's like unique from seeing it elsewhere?
0: Let me put it this way. Um, last, um, last weekend, we had the Pope in, in Malta and Gozo. And Malta and Gozo stopped because there was the Pope. And when there's opera in Gozo, it's the same thing. Everybody knows that it's the opera in Gozo. It's the opera weekend in Gozo, because we we even decorate the streets when there's the opera. The ferry between Malta and Gozo does extra trips for opera patrons. Every, there is no, there are no other cultural events going on except for the opera. It is a thing. Mm -hmm. October is very, it's very much
1: a a, a quiet month. October
0: is back to school, that's it. But, uh, because everybody gives space for opera and gozo. And when people come there, um, they're not numbers. We know them by name. For example, at the moment, my, apart from um, doing the production, I'm also the principal box officer. So, everyone who buys an opera ticket, I know him by name and surname. I answer him with a personal email back. And we, we open, it's not just an email, we open correspondence. We have a large share of repeat clients, which attests to this. Because when people come for opera at Gozo, and um, they're known, and they're, they're going there in, in a household theater. I mean, I, I, I visit, I make it a point that whenever I am abroad uh, on work or any other reason, I, I watch an opera. If there's an opera going go on, I'll, I'll go and watch it. But you buy a ticket online, you receive it online, you've spoken to no one, you go there, you don't know anyone. Here, when they come to the Aurora, they ask for Matthew by name, they ask for whoever spoke to them by name. You no, know? and on opera night, I try to avoid being uh, busy elsewhere because I need to meet the people to whom I have spoken regularly, you know. Then, it's that personal uh, connection. It is very much a personal connection. It is very, very much a personal connection. Then um, we offer, for example, um, wine and champagne in the opera boxes for whoever wants those and the personal service. Uh, during the break, we organize different receptions for people who want this extra service. So then you're, uh, uh, you know. The more you're you making connections with, with the people, and on opera weekend, the people who come for the opera, they usually come for a pre-opera lecture the day before, or uh, uh, and the and the guided tour. For example, when we had Tosca, which is um, it's situated, the context is, is situated in Castel Sant'Angelo. it's a, it's a fortification in Rome. And so we had the, opera, the pre-opera lecture, not at the theater, but in our own fortification at the, the Cittadella in Gozo. So we had the pre-opera talk there. Then we had a, a, a string recital there, and then a guided tour around the the the, Citadella, the fortification. So we had we had a group of hundred people there for the talk, and so hundred people from the audience. We had already met them the day before and and shown them around. The in 2019, we had La Boheme, which is based in, in the, the Latin quarter of Paris. No, So we we organized the, the pre-opera talk and, and the guided tour in the so-called Latin quarter of, of, of Victoria and the historic center. We went into the National Library in Gozo, we had the talk there. Then we had a, a guided tour of the old streets in the historic center of, of, of the city. and. And then, when they came the next day for the opera, we had already known each other by name. So that is that is opera and gozo, which is very very different. Then that is the other phenomenon of opera and gozo, which is different from the production side. For example, um, when a singer is engaged in in a Rome opera, let's let's put it this way: a singer is 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 engaged to sing uh, at the Rome opera. Uh, he's given. Uh, whatever contractual uh, money they they agree upon, and that's that. So the singer knows has to report to work at this hour, until this hour, and that's it. At the Aurora, no. We give them, uh, of course, we give them their cashm, but then we settle their flights. They don't have to worry about their flights. We settle all their transport from the airport to the hotel, from the hotel to the theater and back. We consult with them about the rehearsing schedule, the people who are, uh, uh, who, who, who are taxiing them are the people who are rehearsing with them on stage. So if the soprano wants to do an extra rehearsal, an extra half hour of rehearsal, for example, she, she's, she's not afraid that the taxi driver will leave because he's there with her, No, so So, um, and they're treated as stars, they're treated as stars after rehearsals and after the show. People are waiting for them to meet them, to get their autographs, to get uh, for, for, for any parties that they're going on. So uh, you see oppressing this partying with with, with, with the chorus. And this, it, this doesn't happen elsewhere. In 2010, 2012, we had um, Turandot. And for Turandot, uh, and I say this because it's public knowledge, we had um, uh, the uh, soprano Maria Golagina. And when we announced Maria Golagina, someone from um, an opera house in in Paris called us and told us, listen, are you sure you're getting Maria Golagina? he said, yes, we've agreed. And they told us, are you sure that Maria Golagina knows what size and what level of theater you are? Because um, she is not known to accept uh, anything less than the big theatres. So, I mean, they called out of concern. Uh, it's like, uh, beware that she, 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 she you won't drop out at the last minute and then you end up without the leading soprano. And so we were all a little bit cautious, you know. Uh, so we were um, renovating the dressing rooms. We had a lady in waiting specifically for her. Uh, we upgraded the hotel room uh, you know, because if if you're warned in advance, you try to do your utmost. no? and then she came, and when she went, she, she arrived at the theater, and she saw that everybody's family there, and she was tired, and we asked her if she wants us to drive her to the hotel, and then she she said. I think Gozo is a lovely island, but I don't get to see any of it. And all of a sudden someone offered a private tour around the island the next day in the morning. When the show was over, she was kneeling down, kissing the floor, saying this is home. And that that is is what Opera and Gozo really means. And Aida with a big, because sometimes when you have a small opera with small cast, you, you tend to lose this feeling But with AIDA, an opera that brings so many people around, the spirit of opera in Gozo will be very high. You've left me speechless, Matthew. Genuinely. I I didn't
1: know that it was such a... One, it was such a big deal, first of all. I didn't know it was such an event. I'm really amazed at myself at how much we don't know about what goes on in Gozo even though we're a 30-minute boat ride away.
0: Well, that that reflects even on us, eh? because sometimes we concentrate our marketing on the foreign market, and perhaps there's still some more space for more marketing locally. So, yes, we'll do. (laughs) We'll do. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
1: So, uh, moving on, let's have a little bit of a break from the opera. So, outside of the opera season, Teatro Aurora also works with choirs and orchestras. And your most recent piece, is Exodus, which at the time of recording today is a Wednesday, and you will be performing it next Saturday. Okay. Yes. 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 But okay. when this when this episode goes li- goes live, it would have passed. Yes. So for everyone listening, they did a performance with Exodus, <laughs> but for Matthew, you're
0: going to do a performance yes. with, with Exodus. So. <laughs> well, Exodus is 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 a musical concert by the band, and incidentally, um. This is one of the few concerts in which our own band, the band we spoke about, um, goes out of the theater, out of the opera house. And we do it inside the cathedral church, because this is the time of Holy Week. So we uh, give a concert, it's a free of charge concert, We re- literally, we give out a concert of sacred music and processional music, and it's in church. But there are lots of other events. Like this, going go on minor events, smaller events. I mean, for a concert like that, you would have two hundred people in the audience. It's not, uh, it's not comparable to the opera. But yes, these are the smaller events that keep us going, and keep our audiences with us during the year. For example, then we have um, a symphonic classic concert in November every year, and we we'll have a Christmas concert in December. In the meantime, in the meantime. Um, uh, schools in Gozo, especially schools who do not have a big hall, they use our theater to put up their Christmas shows. So December December is always full up with, with school shows, school Christmas shows there. Then there are a number of other uh NGOs, cultural organizations, non-governmental organizations, uh who put up rock concerts and symphonic concerts, the motor philharmonic visits quite often. Um and uh, music videos, at the moment there's, there's, a, there's a craze for um, pop and rock music concerts, mu- uh, mu- pop and rock music songs, filming music videos at the Aurora, on the Aurora stage. Do you, and, do, you know, do you know of a song that has a music video out? Um, yes, the, the Travellers recorded there. Uh, Ryan Healy, the X Factor, win- the latest X Factor uh-huh. winner, was recording there. Yes, his his, um, his music video there. Yes, yes, we we, we get quite a number of those. Uh-huh. Then, not not to mention, not to mention, um, wed- wedding photos, photo oh, sessions,
1: pre uh, wedding photos,
0: pre-wedding yes, pre-wedding photos. They're all always always coming to take photos at the Aurora but oh, yes nice. these 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 things as petty as they are uh, they keep the place in demand in in the public eye in circulation they keep us going and that that's how we turn the wheel
1: mm-hmm. and these like events outside of the opera are sound like they're very crucial uh, you yes, think you can tell yes. me a bit
0: about the creative process of like coming up with exodus well the the exodus is primarily a concert of of sacred music. So it features the band, uh, the learn a band. Um, so uh, we go, you usually go into our archives, and we select a number of pieces. And um, sometimes they are new pieces, newly acquired pieces, sometimes they uh, are archi- archived material. Uh, for example, this year, we're, um, we're premiering two new compositions by our own president conductor, Helena Tartt. Um, which were composed during COVID, and they haven't been premiered yet. Um, they are uh, funerary marches, uh, because there's a strong tradition of funerary marches, which dates back to the 1800s in, in, in Mota and Gozo. And it is very positive that new funerary marches are still being uh, composed, because uh, if you take these funerary marches together, they they reflect a, a, a movement, an artistic movement over 160, 170, 170 years. And so we're very, very pleased to be premiering two new compositions there. Uh, apart from the band, there will also be the uh, the junior chorus of the Aurora, um, the Aurora Youth Choir, who will be also performing polyphonic pieces there. And then the the concert, given that it is a, a Lenten concert, it's in, in Holy Week. Uh, it will be um, embellished with um, reflections by a local a local poet. So it's it's a concert of music and reflections, um, poetic reflections, philosophical reflections. They will be in Maltese, but given that um, our a substantial uh, share of our audiences is foreign foreign residents living here in Gozo or foreigners happening to be here in Gozo and they would like to visit, we also provide translations for them. So we're very, very much welcoming for for one and all. So we don't exclude everybody. OK, everybody can understand the music and appreciate the music. But if we're offering music and reflections, we make sure that everybody has access to them. So it will be very um, thought provoking. It's very thought-provoking. The idea um, starts from the exodus, you know, the the biblical exodus, but then we move into the um, contemporary exodus that we're having. For example, um, uh, the phenomenon of migration in the Mediterranean, which Malta finds itself caught in the middle. um, The migration from northern Africa uh, into southern Europe. Um, the Exodus in the uh, Ukraine issue at the moment, uh, the migration there, and these are these are issues that uh, we will be challenging our audience with in the in the context of of Holy Week, in the context of a church, in the contest in the context of a musical concert.
2: I think that I, I mean this just seems like a just a common theme that it's just been pondering in my head, which is um, with all the productions that you do at Aurora, it's not just about going to see a piece of opera or going to listen to a piece of music. It's about being immersed and experiencing it. For example, Exodus, okay, we're going to have reflections on it In it's Holy Week, we're going to do it in a church. It's, you know, it's those sorts of um, going the extra mile, which I think really... Um, add so much value to the piece.
0: We, we We try to make it very immersive. The band then uh, there there are lighter moments. I mean, for example, uh, we put up rock concerts and pop concerts with the band, which is something um, uh, quite new. I think um, it's our twelfth year, we've been doing the pop concerts. It's not something that's been done for for a very long time. But um, then you get, we go open air, we go in in May, June um, uh, and you get the band dancing on stage and uh, the audiences dancing on their seats, uh, possibly and preferably they're all standing up, you know. Um, But yes, in all that we do, we try to be um, as immersive as possible. We try to offer an experience. When I plan something, when we plan something, um, we always try to picture that the audiences are coming to to our shows and they're uninterested. Because if you think that your audience is already interested in your work, then you you needn't do too much effort, no? So we always assume that we have a very uninterested audience in front of us, so we have to make this extra mile or two or three so that we don't offer just the music, but we offer the whole experience. Because ultimately, ultimately, people after a production, after an event, they, they might say, okay, that music was very good. The performance was very good, but they definitely feel how good they felt. And that's what they remember. And they will only return if they felt good, not if the band didn't do any mistake or if whatever it was, they will return if they felt good uh, so- we we were always taught that people uh, don't
1: need you to entertain them they can entertain themselves. so you taking this approach of people are not interested it's very it's a very realistically smart, creative and just generally good way to approach it to kind of one always create works which are better every year, and two always create works which kind of leave a smile and leave an impact on your audiences.
0: Yes, they have. Uh, they have to be to be meaningful. I don't believe. I don't believe that people come uh, to hear the Leona band performing Robbie Williams. Let me entertain you because we can't play. We can't perform. Let me entertain you any better than Robbie Williams? No, so. We have to make up with something else, with with, with the atmosphere, with with the whole experience. Oh, you know? so that's how we tackle things.
2: Listen, Matthew, it has been a genuine pleasure getting to learn all about the this beautiful theatre and the like profound impact it has on um creating work, not just for Gozo but for international audiences. So, before we sign off, I just want to ask you. Um, what is the next stage for Teatro Aurora? So, do you have any upcoming projects in the pipeline that you can share for summer? I know you can't say an awful lot about AIDA, but is there something else that you want to shoehorn in? Where can we find Teatro Aurora?
0: So, you find Teatro Aurora on on the website, which is uh, teatroaurora.com, teatro written in Maltese, which is almost Italian are true but with a U. Um, we have uh, now in a series of small scale events in, in April, uh, which is, um, it's more of a showcase for our, our students, our junior chorus, our, our musical students. Um, then in May, we have this big concert, which is called Leona Ghost Pop, um, which usually takes place open air. This time round, we're moving it indoors to create a very different atmosphere. Uh, we're not going open air, but we're going indoors and darker and noisier, possibly noisier, you No, know? um, So that's on the 28th of May. Then we stop in, in summer because um, the, actually the theater stops in summer because it, it, it's remote, it's too hot. But in summer, we have our own festa, which is on the 15th of August. So we have lots of open air events there, band marches. We have another um, symphonic concert in the open air in the, main, in the main road of Victoria, right in front of the Opera House, which is on the 9th of August. Then uh, our season starts um, with um, an event by the Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, uh, details are not yet announced, but the date is booked. Uh, which is mid-September. Um, it is an international event by the motor Philharmonic on the 10th of September. Then we get our opera, which is Aida on the 15th of October. Two weeks later we have um, a rock orchestral concert uh, which is not produced by us. It will be it will be um, a forum production coming to the Aurora. and then we have our own um, classic annual concert, by the leona band in november and the christmas concert in december in the meantime there will be the school shows coming up uh in december and that will take us um right into hopefully a brighter 2023
2: that is perhaps the best um <laughs> wham bam here's the yearly plan <laughs> sign off that we've that we've had on here i think greta like um
1: yeah, it
2: honestly, definitely is. <laughs> honestly, It's like, right, love it. Um, listen, we will put all the relevant information you need to find out about Tetra Aurora in our episode description. Um, we'll include links to the website. If you want to learn more about Aida, the theatre, you name it, if you want to find out about them, go down into the description. We'll be able to help you out. Um, Matthew, once again, thank you so much for coming on to the next stage. Um, we are. Super, super happy that you decided to come on and talk about the um theater
0: and um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you, Matthew. That was Matthew Sultana from Teatro Aurora. As you have heard, he's been part of this theater, which is basically his home, his entire life. Teatro Aurora really speaks about and is a true testament to how community theatres and opera houses don't have to be separated. Because I think defining Teatro Aurora as a community opera house would be the best way to describe how they function, the level of productions they have on, and the kind of work that they produce. We hope that you enjoyed listening to Matthew's lovely stories. We hope that you will come visit and go check out what they have going on. But until then, See you at the next stage.